chapter 7. And we're going to look at Achan's sin tonight. And before we do that, uh, we better pray because I need it. Lord Jesus, um, just thank you for your word. I thank you for all the information in here, Lord. It's very, very valuable. Um, just ask for an anointing tonight, Lord Jesus. Uh, thank you for the food tonight, Lord. It was, was really good. Pie was excellent. And uh, we just thank you for um, the fellowship we had around that food also. Lord, uh, again, please anoint me and make me a good teacher. Amen. Uh, I'm here tonight because James is uh, on vacation. He's enjoying a little time off. I think he's having one of those stay-at-home vacations, uh, day trips, things like that. But uh, a lot of times they're the most enjoyable. So uh, I hope he's getting something done, what he wants to get done. Okay. Is uh, gluttony still a sin? Can anybody tell me that? If it's not, I'm bringing it back. Wow. <laughs> Pretty good chow tonight. And uh, I hear some amens. Is that amen? That's right. And uh, I had the cherry pie, and it was wonderful. Could have used a scoop of ice cream, but somehow I choked it down. <laughs> and, and then some. So uh, just kind of heavy right here. But uh, we'll try to press on. And that was a you Lean and Steve production. And it was pretty good. And I saw the bakers back there doing their thing. And uh, repeat? <laughs> okay. Do that again next month or tomorrow night. Oh. <laughs> okay. So uh, this portion of scripture is usually called Aiken's Sin. It has to do with the defeat at AI. And it all starts really over in chapter 6. And uh, at the city of Jericho. And we all know from our grade school and even younger than that, uh, the Jericho song about the walls come tumbling down. And that was a supernatural situation from God. He gave Joshua this plan to march around the city. And on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times, and the priests blew horns, and the congregation shouted, and the walls fell down, and their orders were to go in and uh, take no prisoners, and uh, they were going to get some spoils. And there were conditions on the spoils. So let me, let me read that so we know what the conditions were. And you, by all means, abstain from the accused things, lest you become accursed. And when you take the accursed things and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it, but all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So those things are going to be put in the treasury of the Lord. That's where they're going. So we go over to chapter 7 and we'll start there. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, and the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah took the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. So right off the bat, after being told not to take the things, there's a guy that takes the things. They don't go into the treasury. They go in his tent. We'll learn that later on. So we have one person committing a willful sin. It says trespass there. That's a knowing sin. Being told one thing, doing another. Um, 
So he blatantly sins. And you notice here in verse, at the end of verse 1, it says that the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. It was his sin, but the group was blamed. He was mad at all of Israel because this Achan guy had taken a few things. And we'll find out that they did have some value, and the Lord was, was upset with that. But uh, it's a collective thing, and is that something for the church? Um, should we be policing our members as to what they should be doing? Um, somebody should have been watching Achan because he took some of the devoted things, and the Lord anger burned against all the children of Israel. So we've, we've got that situation going. Okay, they're still on this military conquest thing, and in two we learn more about that. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Beth Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up, and they spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about 2,000 or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not worry all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. Okay. Um, God had given Joshua a supernatural and effective plan to take out Jericho. I, I don't see God in this plan. He says, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, and they spied out the country. Remember uh, Joshua way back when was a spy. He was a spy. He was one of twelve. He was one of twelve spies that went into the promised land and came back and reported to Moses what was going on in the promised land. And uh, Caleb and Joshua said, "We can take them, even though there are giants in there. We can get them, and it's a good land flowing with milk and honey." And the other ten said, "Yeah, there are giants in there, and there are walled cities." I we don't think we can take it. And then the majority won, and they didn't go in, and God was real mad with Adam, and he said, you guys are going to wander for 40 years until this generation falls in the desert because of your unbelief. And you would think that Joshua would know this spy thing hasn't been real effective. He, he, he got burnt on that one time. But he sent spies over to Ai, and they come back and say, uh, don't send all the army over there. Just send two or 3,000 guys. We'll take them out, and uh, it'll be even more fun than Jericho. But I read a commentator who said there were possibly 6,000 troopers in AI at that time. So they miscalculated. The spies did it again, and they miscalculated. So we will read on. So about 3,000 men went up from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai, and the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim, and struck them down the descent, and yeah, struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. So the report of the spies was um, not a good one. They were surprised. And they turned tail and they fled. Very unusual. In fact, this is the only defeat that the Israelites have in their conquest of all of Canaan. 
In, in the seven-year conquest, this is the only one that they lose. They lost 36 men, and, they, and they're calling it a rout. And it's primarily a rout because they ran. They turned tail, and they ran. Very unusual. Um, they thought they had this one in the bag. Jericho had been so easy. They took a lot of plunder out of Jericho. The Lord is with us. God said, you know, if you obey me, Moses was teaching them on the other side of the river. He gave them a couple of uh, orations about, you know, God wants you to be doing his commandments. And if you do that, when you go into the promised land, God will fight for you and all these people will come into your hand. There's, there's something wrong here. There's, there's something amiss. And the people, their hearts melted and became like water. They ever watch a football game and, and your team's winning and then there's a momentum shift? The other team's getting those first downs. They're running the ball at will. You can't tackle them. They're doing the sprint out passes. Everything's working for them and it looks bad. So I think we've we got a momentum shift going on here. So there's something wrong somewhere, and they, they don't know what it is for sure, and they just got spanked, and they lost 36 men. So in 6 it says, Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads, and Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us. Oh, that we have been, had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Joshua, that's the whole game, was to get on the other side of the Jordan and possess the land. So they, they've kind of got a little pity party here going. Uh, they don't know what's wrong for sure, but it's pretty easy to blame God. Why did you bring us out here? You know, you gave us all these great promises. We came over, we did the Jericho thing. That was good. And then we take on little AI. Bam, they got us. What is happening? So taking a little time here to have a pity party and kind of blame God for it. In 8 it says, Oh Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it, surround us, and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Notice the order there. First thing he's worried about is cut off our name from the earth. And then, Lord, what are you going to do? It'll be embarrassing for you, but we're gone. Got the priority mixed up here. Should have been worried about what God was thinking about his name and then the provision for them. Joshua. Joshua. He's, you know, we have our weak moments. We... We get confused. We, we lose our way sometimes. I think Joshua's kind of losing his way here. He's going on with the pity party here. And he's putting God second, and he forgot to put God first in his planning stage. So he's got some problems here. He's got some problems. So it's the Lord's turn here in 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned. And they have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it amongst their own stuff. I like a God that talks like I do. Their own stuff. 
That's the vernacular. I understand what he's talking about. So, but he's pretty unhappy with that. Stolen and deceived and put that among their own stuff. It was accursed, but it was going to go in the treasury. God can handle that stuff. Man can't. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but they turned their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. And that's because there was sin in the camp. And as we move through this uh, portion of Scripture, you'll see how destructive sin is. I I think we know that from our own lives and from uh, experiences in our families and things like that. How destructive sin is. And God is really going to point that out as we move through this portion of Scripture. I just want to read 12 again because it's, uh, it's emphatic. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. All that because of Achan. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up. Sanctify the people and say, uh, and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel. And before I go into that, I want to talk about sanctified just a little bit. Uh, to be sanctified is to become holy. God is sanctified. We're in the process of, of sanctification as we walk here on earth with the Holy Spirit's help. God is calling for a cleansing here in the camp. I think he's trying to get to... Uh, Achan, for a confession, he's calling out, sanctify yourselves. Look at yourselves. See what's going on. Go over the condition of your own heart and see if there's anything you need to tell us. So he's calling for a cleaning here of their hearts. Okay, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow because thus says the Lord of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel, You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the cursed things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to the families, and that family which the Lord takes shall come by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who has taken who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So they're going to bring the whole, all the tribes together. And we're probably talking between 600,000 and 800,000 men. And that's probably all who showed up for this event, but that's a lot. 800,000 people to try and figure out where the sin is in the camp. God has made it clear there's something going on here and it's going to be done in front of maybe 800,000 people. And it's going to be public and it's going to be something because there's been a disgraceful thing done in Israel. And nobody's confessed. Nobody's come forward. So it's going to be public shame. Okay, and 16 it says, So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. How did, how did they know it was Judah? Was, did God send a lightning bolt down there and 
Judah. It's Judah. No, he didn't do anything like that. <laughs> they, they had a system that they worked on way back when, and it was called the Urim and the Thummim. And I never know if I'm pronouncing that right because there's not a hard sound in there. It just kind of slides around in your mouth. But uh, if you go back into Exodus, and it's 2830, if you want to research it, it's an interesting thing. They had these things that were like dice. They were lots. And the high priest had a breastplate, and it had 12 jewels on it, and they represented the tribes of Israel, very sacred to the Lord. He wore that over his chest. And it might have been on the inside. I didn't read it that closely, but there was a little packet in there, a little container. It had these dice in it, and he wore them on his heart. And they were for certain judgments. They were for hard judgments. And they cast them. And there was a certain configuration for yes and a certain configuration for no. So they probably started out with the tribe of Dan, and the high priest threw it out there and said, nope, not Dan. Picked him back up and said, let's, let's try Benjamin. Nope, not Benjamin. Let's try Judah. Judah. So that was probably the system that they used to decide where the culprit was, where the sin was lying. lying. We think it was this. It could have been more, more direct from God, but usually that's what they used was the Urim and the Thummim. Very interesting things. Okay, let's read on here. So Judah was taken. In 17 it says, He brought the clan of Judah and took the family of the Zerites and brought the family of the Zerites man by man. And Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son, excuse me, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah was taken. So through the selection process, they've got it down to one guy. And there he is in front of 800,000 people. That's quite an audience. And he hasn't confessed yet. He hasn't confessed yet. Okay, now Joshua works on him in 19. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And so he is asking for this confession. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw amongst the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing about five shekels. I coveted them and took them. And they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So he shows no remorse. He tells his tale. He tells exactly what happened. He does say that he sinned against the Lord of Israel. But here we have this same old scenario for sin. I saw amongst the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment. It started with the eyes. Is that what went wrong, what went wrong in the uh, Garden of Eden? Yeah. They went down to the tree. They finally got curious enough, and they went down, and they cast their eyes on the tree, and Eve saw that the fruit was beautiful. And it was good for a number of things. 
And then the, Satan didn't have to save too much more, and she was enticed. So, we go to this word covet, and that is a, a desire that's an unhealthy desire for wrongful things or a wrongful desire for something that might be, might be good but bad for you. And uh, you remember when uh, David was on his roof and he saw Bathsheba? You know, he could have, ooh, no, he didn't do that. He looked and then he coveted. And then he went to great lengths to have her brought to his place. So in James it says, once you see something and you are tempted, it's your own evil desire that gets you in trouble. Because God doesn't tempt anybody. He doesn't tempt anybody. It's you that completes the sin. So he saw, he coveted, and he took them. So it's the same old scenario for sin. I saw it, I coveted. I did it. And he makes the confession, again, with no remorse, just statement of fact. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent where it was, where it was hidden in his tent, and with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua said to all Israel with him, uh, then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. There again, the whole assembly is here. And notice the urgency here back in uh, 22. God is impressed upon everybody here that this is a very serious thing. It says the messengers ran to the tent, and they brought it back as quickly as they could, and they put it out before the whole congregation. And so they've got the goods on Achan. They've got the evidence, state's exhibit number one. And uh, so he is taken, and all his possession go with him to the valley of Achor. Achor means trouble. Acor means trouble, and there's trouble brewing. And Joshua said, Have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Can you imagine that? All of Israel turned out to stone this family. God is unhappy. God is unhappy. He said, stone this family. Can, can you imagine picking up stones and stoning children? Whoops, I missed dad and I hit the baby. This is, this is nasty business. This is the congregation of Israel taking care of nasty, nasty business. Collective punishment, capital punishment, of course. Does collective punishment kind of encourage collective prevention? I think it does. I think it does. Maybe if they'd have been watching Aiken, you know, the day before, they could have gotten out of some of this stuff. Very public, very public. Um, I, can't, I can't imagine the stoning. I would think in my heart, I would never want to commit a crime and have to end my life like that because I've seen it. 
I've seen it. And the whole congregation was supposed to do it. What a thing that would say to your heart. I don't want to commit a crime like that because my friends will have to stone me and I have to witness it. Ugly thing, really ugly. But I think it's a great deterrent. Fantastic deterrent. God knew what he was doing. Okay, let's talk a little bit because this seems brutal. This seems absolutely brutal. Um, God has this habit of starting, what do I want to say? New features in his plan of salvation with something very, very dramatic. Um, do you remember when they consecrated the Ark of the Covenant and Moses and Aaron were doing certain things before the Ark of the Covenant and the two sons of the high priest thought they would bring strange fire to the, to the Ark, to the altar. They weren't authorized to do it. They had no business doing it, but they got in the act. Boom, boom. Fire came from the altar and killed them. Whoa. My goodness. God is saying, this is a serious thing. When you come to my altar, you have to be authorized. You have to be the right person. And if you're not, you know, it's going to be bad news. And you remember the situation where they were moving the Ark of the Covenant from one spot, Shiloh, to maybe... Jerusalem, and they're on this rocky path, and there's this guy that reaches out and touches the ark because it's going to fall off the cart. And I think his name is Urza. Boom, he's gone. Only the priest touched the ark. I'm sorry. Only priests touched the ark. God's got his rules. Um, how about Jesus? Ushering in a new, a new command of grace and mercy. Somebody died. It was Jesus. Very emphatic. Very emphatic. God wants to get your attention that sin is no good. Sin is ugly. And I don't know if there's any other part in Scripture that shows the ugliness of sin this dramatically, especially with the stoning. Okay, let's read on in 26. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of this place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. And Achor means trouble. And it wasn't unusual for the uh, Israelites to make monuments to good and to evil. This was certainly one to evil. And they did that so the next generation would say, Dad, what's, what's that big pile of stone down there in, in that Valley of Achor? That's, that's where Achan was laid to rest and his whole family was stoned because he didn't keep the covenant. He stole from the Lord. And, you know, it's there to this day as a monument. So, dealing with sin. God hates it. God hates it. God hates it. Can't look on it. Hates it. So, you know, he said, sanctify. He said, look at your life. You got any of that in there? Need to get it out of there. Need to get it out of there. And we all, we've all got some. And uh, like I do in my Sunday school classes, you know, you ask questions to James, I ask you questions. Right here. We just covered a lot of ground tonight, and there are certain things in here that should pop out at you. Paula's sitting up all of a sudden. See, a bright-eyed, bushy tail. You, you can volunteer. I'm not going to call anybody by name, but some of this stuff should be glaring. Okay. 
just, just a statement to get started. Your sin will be discovered. God went to a huge display of, of his power to sort out one guy out of 800,000. He found him, tracked him down, and he found him because he sinned. Because he sinned. He broke the covenant. No, you're, hot. you're not going to hide your sin. God knows. Okay. What, what else can we pull out of there? What else jumped out at you? What else jumped out at you? John Haney. I have a question instead of answering the question. Was his wife involved in that? I've never noticed that. I've read it many times. Uh-huh. And she is mentioned in the stoning. Um, I'm pretty sure she was there. I, I think, but... His family. family. Yeah, okay, but they his family. Right. What jumped out at me was the uh, fact that they paid for their sin. Jesus paid for our... He was innocent. He was innocent. Right. Great comments. Great comments. They had to pay for their sins, but through grace and mercy, Christ pays for ours. Comment, Kathy? That's exactly what, I, what jumped out at me. The same thing. It's just that um, the New Testament, you know, we have the advantage of the grace and mercy, but the wages of sin is still that. Christ paid. Point four. The wage of sin is death. Congra- <laughs> congratulations. But a, but a great point. Always the same. Uh, talk to you later about that. She's the, she's the pie lady. She's the pie lady. Wages of sin is death. Good one. Anything else pop out at you? Renee. Right. Yeah, no petition. No petition. I'm running a little bit over. One one more comment, maybe? One more comment? Megan. Question. I don't do questions. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Make it easy. Was John's baptism of God from God or men? You're not gonna ask that, are you? No. Okay, go ahead. If God is angry with the children of Israel, which you said in verse one, mm-hmm. does he follow that same does he still follow that same today? Because to me, basically thirty five men died because of one man's selfish sin. That's correct. It's hard to sin alone. And thirty five I thought that was kind of sad. I felt sorry for those 35 people. Well, you should. And they, they had no idea what was going on. As I said, the hearts of the people melted. They didn't know that there was sin in the camp. And God went to great lengths to show them what was wrong. And in our lives, in our prayer lives, if you've got a, a secret sin that says in, in Psalms and you're harboring that, it says your prayers bounce off the ceiling, basically. Um, Sin, God doesn't like it, and if you're promoting it in your life, you're going nowhere. Yes, Rose? Well, our sin is never just affecting us. It affects other people. I got there. That's sin. Is that point five? Okay. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> your, it's point six. Your sin is probably going to affect others. That's, that's exactly what she said, and it is. Right. It's hard to sin alone. Hard to sin alone. John? Depending on where you are in the hierarchy of uh, pastor and down, mm-hmm. 
uh, it affects the body. Definitely. Uh, definitely. One man's sin and God's anger burned against the children of Israel. And I've, I've got to close up. This is a lot of fun. Great comments, but I'm going to have teachers mad at me in the back. So let's bow in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word and very clear teaching tonight on sin and uh, how it affects others and just very dramatic, Lord. Uh, be with these folks as they go home. Give them a great week. Bring them back on Sunday. Uh, I know some folks are traveling as they finish up uh, their summers, Lord. Bless that too, Lord Jesus. Lord, uh, be with Pastor James and Dawn and the whole family. Give them a great time of recreation and recreation, Lord. We ask all this in your name. Amen.